A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. This is Rob DiPietro, the Dead Pull Hitter, coming at you with another hot Pull Hitter Podcast. We are going to talk today to two of the industry's finest analyst content creators out there, Fred Zinke and Dalton Del Don. Um, they're highly active in industry leagues, NFBC leagues, as well as putting out awesome articles on yahoo and doing podcasts as well and um so yeah we sat down to talk about um their process how they get ready for the season and we do some player debates we talk about which um how they construct their rosters all the fabulous stuff that we usually get into on the pull hitter podcast and try to cover a little bit of the player news that um you know that happened today this is monday march 14th and so as we know tatis is out fractured wrist um trades galore um jesse winker changing teams and and suarez um so we hit about a couple minutes on that as well we could have probably done a whole podcast on some player news but you know we got into the roster construction strategy side of things so hope everyone is keeping up to date on the news a lot of movement today a lot of signings trades just Injury news, especially, we're finding out about injuries that players have had um, in the offseason that weren't reported, obviously, because they couldn't tell anybody. Um, so, just a lot of stuff going on. If you could stay on top of the news, you know, just constantly, you know, re- refreshing your, um, wherever you get your news source from, it's going to be highly valuable to you if you're in some slow drafts right now. Um, a lot of times, these player trades or um, new playing time impacts, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with your draft. You might just be lucky to be on the clock when something might happen where you could take advantage of that. Um, so just make sure you're staying up on that if you are in slow drafts or you're about to get into, you know, your home league fast drafts as well. So um, keep an eye out for that and stay on top of it and you should be well on your way. Hopefully you're not trying to do all of your fantasy prep right now. Hopefully you're well you know, prepared and ahead of that curve so you could just suck in all the player news and just adjust as, um, you know, as it comes out. If not, you know, then you got a little more work on your hand, but I'm sure you'll be able to, you know, power through that and get ready for your draft. So um, with that being said, let's get into the episode with Fred and Dalton. All righty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast. My name is Rob Pietro. I am here today with two special guests, Mr. Fred Zinke and Dalton Del Don. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Thank you for joining me. Doing well. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, doing great. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, um, 
I mean, what a whirlwind today has been. I mean, it's just news after news uh, coming out. Um, everybody's scrambling, redoing their plate appearances and 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 whatnot. I know we were just catching up prior to the podcast, just talking about some player movement. What have you guys, uh, what's popped out to you guys um, has been like either the biggest prize or the biggest um, um, move that really is making your mind uh, shift, shift um, some player values? Does it is it feels a little selfish to complain about Kyle Lewis maybe not being ready? Uh, the news breaking uh, <laughs> uh, feels just a little off to be complaining about that for people who have Fernando Tatis today waking up today. But yeah, that's my complaint. You know, Jesse Winker was traded. Uh, he's one of the first bats I go after. Um, obviously, a downgrade in Parks, but uh, obviously, I feel. Uh, fortunate to not drafting all these pitchers early and seeing Tatis go down is obviously that's the biggest news of the day. I mean, that's, that's absolutely brutal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I have not drafted Tatis yet. just in the, I don't know how many drafts, almost 10 that I've done so far. Um, But, and that, and I'm not victory lapping on that. That was my concern over the shoulder. It had nothing to do with the injury that he actually has. Um, I think it's the, like the Tatis news is obviously huge beyond that. Um, and I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording it. It's the, it's the mid-level, the late later guys that are being squeezed now. So we see like Andrew McCutcheon signing with the Brewers and there's going to be a trickle down effect there where maybe someone like Tyrone Taylor or Rowdy Telez is going to get squeezed for playing time. Now um, we were just talking about the Jesse Winker, you know, a Eugenio Suarez trade and maybe Abraham Toro gets squeezed for playing time. Now, those are the ones other than the injuries to the star players like this with news with Tatis, um, this is where, uh, you know, this is where I think the real, the real research is going to come in here in the next couple of weeks. Cause guys like, like I have a lot of Toro, so I'm not happy about that trade. Uh, it still may all work out. I don't know how well Suarez will hit. We'll see. Maybe Tor- Toro plays a lot of second. I don't really know, but certainly I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to have him valued as high as I would have yesterday. And that's disappointing when you're about 10 drafts in and he might be on five of those teams. <laughs> yeah, Tatis was uh I only have him on two teams and but you know it's still you know two teams where I took him first, you know. So it's uh it it's a big blow. I was just trying to mess around on 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 my uh projection sheet, you know, trying to just punch in a bunch of different plate appearances for him and see what he spits out to be. It's it's still it's still impressive if he still gets like 300 to 50 plate appearances. I still he he kind of still ended up as like 150th best player overall on my sheet. But um you know that and it's 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 really amazing when you like even just punch in like 350 plate appearances how he's still you know going 2010 at least and it's it's pretty special but I mean the just I don't know I'm really disappointed I guess and you can get hurt playing but you know you can't get hurt riding motorcycles all the time yeah one thing I'd add with Tatis is that uh, uh Zinke's partner that took me down in the main event Jeff Zimmerman tweeted today he only had two stolen base attempts the final two months last year after yeah. returning I did not realize that at all maybe because all my attention's after the the pitchers but that surprised me and who knows if that's a further thing that would continue here with a, a wrist injury but that was something worth noting obviously Tatis is an amazing player either way but I don't know that was at least a little bit made me made me uh, do a double take yeah I, th- I think with Tatis one of the things people have to make sure they do and I don't know Dalton if you moved him in your I think you have your rankings on fantasy pros too if you've already moved him I just moved him a couple hours ago but um, because he's going to be out for so long but then he's going to be well but then we assume he's going to be back um, when you're re-ranking him, you have to build that replacement value in for the first half of the season right so if we just put in a half season stats from Tatis, 
So I started by doing that. And then he sinks like a stone. Like he goes down to, I don't even know, like round 15 or something like that with what he's going to generate in half a season. But you're obviously going to have other replacement level players in that lineup. So if I just pull a name out of a hat, like if you have Joey Wendell in your shortstop spot for half a season and then to tease for the second half of the season, you know, what does that work out to Like you have like Joey Wendell in half a season he's not going to be awesome, but he's going to get you four home runs and four steals and maybe 30 RBIs, maybe 30 runs scored, something like that hit 260. So when you build that back in, he started climbing back up my rankings and I don't think I'll get to tease in any leagues now. Um, but he came back up for me in that, like, I'm like behind JD Martinez. I have him kind of behind Nolan Arenado um kind of in around where stanton is like half a season of tatis and half a season of someone else now you also have to factor in that you got to use a a bench if it's an nfbc style you got to use a bench spot not as big of a deal in in a labor or tight wars type league where you have unlimited il slots but i think now i downgrade him a little further in those nfbc drafts because of the fact that he's going to cost you a bench spot for half the season I saw Rudy Gamble tweeted out the Rasball player Raider. He came in at number 155. I think I was more like 105, but it's definitely league dependent. I mean, format dependent. If you're in a shallow league, you can take a risk and the replacement level is totally different than a, a deeper, mm-hmm. a deeper league. So, yeah. Yeah. It's at, uh, definitely a good point about being in a league where maybe you can throw them on the IL or, you know, carrying a roster spot, but that that's definitely, I think that's a part Fred that a lot of people, um, get is factoring what you're going to get from his replacement and but yeah the, the stolen base thing was real Dalton um you know he I don't know if it was because he slides mostly head first and with the shoulder or it just he just didn't feel good enough to you know run anyway but um definitely it's definitely interesting to keep a tab on that for sure because like you said if he just comes back and doesn't steal again then it's it's you're not getting those 10 steals in a half a season This is going to be wild times because supposedly just the players were not allowed to talk to management. And apparently that was the case. So like, who knows how how many pitchers, you know, have these shoulder problems over the, over the, over the last few months that we just are totally blind to. And it's so true because I think, I don't know, at least I had in my head, like, well, somebody has to tell somebody that has to tell somebody that has to tell somebody. And then somebody tells that person, you know, like there had to been, that's what I thought, at least there had to been some chain of, you know, because what are they going to do? They're just going to like, like just, I don't know. They're going to spy on everybody and just make sure they're not talking to anybody at all. I don't know. I, in my head, I thought there was some way they would, you know, let someone know how they're feeling, but I guess just it's even taking a test. That, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. They knew they just couldn't right. tell us they knew. Right. 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 True. Because, yeah, that, because we can't know they knew. Right. Right. And then I guess at that point too, they can't even, you know, say, Oh, the, this guy's going for an MRI or this guy has gone or this guy got the surgery because then that would have been definitely shown that we, you know, they were on a level of talking that wasn't going to be allowed, but mm-hmm. such a good point. Yeah. That, I think that's a lot of the things that are coming up now is it's just all these little, uh, you know, player notes that, Oh, this guy has been struggling since, you know, January and he had a need debridement in February and like, Oh my God, where's this coming from? But all these things that we were kind of expecting, but it's coming on, all in yeah, one day. Dom- really. Domingo Herman and <laughs> Domingo Herman and Al uh, Zolay on the Cubs are two of my favorite mm. real late round guys. Both both now just maybe maybe cross off. Well, Herman maybe just a little behind, but Al Zolay, yeah, that's maybe a cross off. So yeah, but obviously those are peripheral guys, but still. Yeah, they were they were at the top of my queue in my um, current uh, draft champion, and I immediately you know <laughs> just took him out. I put him. I put. I think uh, I dropped him on a little lower just, just to make sure I didn't get him too early. But yeah, I think I was away. It took completely off, but I would agree. Those are two 
Connor, good arm. I like in that range that when I go back into pitching to Connor's key on. But um, where do you guys think Freddie Freeman goes? What's the likeliest spot here? I, I'll take let the Canadian speak, right? Yeah. Blue no. Jays or not? No, I, I don't. I I don't think he's a great fit. I just don't see how they do that. Like he's he's a good fit in the sense of he's awesome. So, like, okay, would it be awesome to have Freddie Freeman on the Jays lineup? Yes. I just, I don't see him wanting to DH. Um, I don't think Vlad should DH. Like, I think he's, I don't think that's for a future hall, like hopeful future hall of famer. I don't think that's something you do in your early twenties. Um, and that, and I think not DHing is a big motivator to keep him in shape. So I don't think either one of them should go to third. Like that, that feels like a bad plan to me. Like, it's almost like what the Reds did with a Eugenio Suarez when they tried him at shortstop and they were like, Hey, this is the way we're going to get all our best, you know, hitters in the lineup. And it's like, yeah, but you can't do that. This won't like, <laughs> you know, um, it isn't fantasy baseball. These guys actually have to field the position. So I guess I'll guess Dodgers. I, I think from the Jays rumors that Kyle Schwarber to me makes a lot more, let more sense because he's more of a DH type. Um, so I'll guess Dodgers, I guess for Freeman. Yeah, it's gonna be the Dodgers. I know it. I'm a Giants fan, so it'll be yeah. The Dodgers yeah. will pay up. They get everyone. But yeah, I, for, for what it's worth, Freeman's defensive metrics are ugly. But uh, Fred's probably right. If he, he still will want to play the position, and that'll matter most. The only that, way that, I can see it is more. if is if if the Jays give him a really long contract to the point where it's his last big deal, and they're like, hey, do you want this massive amount of money? But you're gonna to have to DH. Like as long, like like. But this is the this is gonna be your last giant contract. Do you want the money or not? And maybe he takes it. Because one of the reasons guys don't like to DH is they want people to know for their next contract that, mm-hmm. you know, that they're a capable fielder. So if he gets, if the contract was long enough to the point where he doesn't even care about what people think at the end of it, then maybe he would take it. But I, I still don't think that's, I don't think that's necessary to get him to DH maybe. I, I don't know. He would certainly help. Yeah. That can be, I like the, I like the Schwarber move. I think that would be good for the Blue Jay then for him as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It will kill my Randall Gritchick late shares in some teams, but what are you going to yeah. do? Uh, I'll get by with that. <laughs> they might move if they made that move. They might move Gritchick, like even if it's just you know give him away to some team. Right, absolutely. All right, so um, let's get talking down some uh, fantasy stuff. I just wanted to get a little insight into how you guys got into the path of you know playing fantasy. When did you start? You know, how did you know that you would be playing fantasy baseball and football for however long you've been playing. And also, you know, talk to me about, you know, your venture into the writing and podcasting world and creating content and um, how you end up doing that. So whoever wants to go first, Dalton. Sure. Uh, So I was playing fantasy football uh, when I was in the seventh and eighth grade with a three-man league using USA Today newspaper, doing it by hand. It wouldn't even come out till Tuesdays. This was back in like 1994. So I've been doing it. So I'm a dinosaur. Uh, fantasy baseball in high school, probably junior year, so like 98-ish. I even confirmed this looking up because I saw the outline here. I remember specifically J.D. Drew was a big one, rookie year. So yes, I confirmed wow. it. It was around 1998. So I, I've been playing. And that was, you know, Yahoo had, uh, was up and running there. I've been using it since then as for my rotisserie fantasy baseball site. And uh, yeah, I've been a fantasy junkie since then. And it took me a while to kind of realize that, oh, I want to do this for uh, my profession. And I went to college for longer than I should have, and uh, and he ultimately ended up at at, uh, at Yahoo doing it, a, a hobby that I that I love. But yeah, I've been doing fantasy sports from since I can remember, legitimately hand to paper, uh, three man fantasy football league way back in the day. That's awesome. I I started with my brothers. You know, I have three brothers, and that's the same thing. We you know we started young. We went from Stratomatic to you know playing oh. fantasy, and the same thing. You know, we had graph paper. I remember my brother writing everything down, and we look at the scores 
for the whole weeks and and it, it's just great and it's evolved into you know just playing playing big leagues and uh you know like you said starting a home league and yeah that's awesome it's just uh it's it's special for sure fred what about you yeah, so I, I guess you would say my first ever fantasy sports would have been hockey because I'm Canadian, would have been hockey <laughs> pools when I was a kid, right? So I was in my first hockey pool. I was probably about 10 or 11, you know, with the, like like with people around the neighborhood kind of thing, straight points and playoff pools and things like that. And um, then got once, once, once I got on the internet, about 96, 97, started playing fantasy football and then quickly started playing fantasy baseball and just love the complexity of fantasy baseball. I love fantasy football, but I love the complexity of, uh, of fantasy baseball. And that complexity, I think, made it catch on more with me, even though I like the sport of football as much as I like the sport of baseball and I like the sport of hockey as much as both of them too. But the complexity of fantasy baseball really caught me and, um, yeah. And then eventually, you know, st- started to do well with it and did some NFBC stuff and then decided I wanted to work in the industry. And I worked at a now defunct site called fantasybaseball.com for a couple of years with Todd Zola and Perry Van Hook, and then left that to go join MLB.com where I was there for seven years and um, worked a lot of hours for them. And then they kind of closed their fancy department. And now I'm doing some things for Yahoo too, and doing the Rotowire podcasts and kind of floating around the industry. So, um, I think it's something I'll always be involved with. I don't know, even sometimes at the end of the season, I need a break, but I find every year, like November, December, like, I just can't wait to start, you know, prepping my fantasy baseball rankings again. I just, I love the process of it. I remember fantasybaseball.com, of course. Yeah. Um, to talk just further a little bit how I got where I am. Leaving college, I you know shot a bunch of different messages, different places, ended up Rotowire, writing, covering the San Francisco Giants, just one okay. team there. And then that just asked for more and more responsibility. And I was with them for about five or six years, you know, um, basically hustling as a side job, basically. And that just with connections in the industry, Brandon Funston and whatnot led me to uh, Yahoo, uh, luckily. But um, yeah, I was like five, six years you know, just working as a, basically as a, as a side job, but a lot of hours, a, a lot, a lot of hours. I was just fortunate enough that my uh, other business, I had family that made me uh, very flexible hours wise. And if that wasn't uh, the case, I'm not sure I'd be sitting here right now today. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's amazing where life takes you. And like you said, what, what you can do to, you know, make it work. Um, I think it's, I think like, it seemed to me more lately in like the last 10 years or so, like even my friends that we, you know, they have job, but they're, they're still doing something on the side, you know, because they could take like a passion that they love. If you do it for like an hour or two every day after work, you know, you can turn that into something that you can do for work, you know, and instead of, you know, doing something maybe you don't enjoy, you know, and I guess that's what, you know, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, even though it is work, does it even feel like work when you have to write an article or when you have to get on, you know, like in front of the camera and do a podcast? Not for me at all. I love it. It's like I said, it's just a hobby for me. It's, it's, it's doing what you love. And, and as you said, it's a great point. The last 10 years, even it's just the industry has exploded. There are people younger, hungrier and, 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 and smarter. And, and, and you got to be on your toes still. I mean, people are, are doing it for free and they're, and they're willing. And you're, there's so many people out there that, that are just in the industry every year popping up. So um, no, man, if you don't, if you, if you feel like it's, it's work or you're dredging it, then it's time to move on. I, I think so. No, not, not for me. No, I, I absolutely love it. And I just feel like just blessed to write about sports for a living. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. I, I will say, like, what, does it feel like work? Like, there are moments where 
especially because the sports cycle is 24 seven and like there, and, and then you have like things going on in your life. Like there are moments where like something happens and you're like, Oh, this happened at a very inconvenient time for me. <laughs> and then, and then like really having cool. to shut it down, shut your life out and get to it. Like the podcasting never feels like work or like, I never really feel like writing an article that's like scheduled, you know, this week's waiver wire pickups that never, that's fun. It never feels like work, but it, like there are moments over the years um, back when I was with MLB, like we used to do these, like every time we were into a phase for a couple of years where every time there was a, a major news story, we had to put this fantasy blurb spin on the bottom of it. And like, I wrote those fantasy blurbs in all kinds of exotic places. And like, I remember writing one on new year's Eve at like nine 30, it was Daniel Murphy signed with someone. I actually remember that one. I remember writing one on like Christmas Eve. So there are times where like, or you're at your kid's sports. I remember writing them beside the soccer field and hotspotting my phone. Like there are times when like, like some things like that, if, if you have more, get a lot of responsibility in the industry can feel a little bit like work, but, but it's never something, it's never something you don't enjoy. It's just sometimes it, it's just a different type of a job than a go to work, work your eight hours, come home, forget about work kind of job because I, just don't know every i i'm i could probably speak for all of us like first thing you think when you wake up in the morning i'm an early to bed early to rise guy first thing you think when you wake up in the morning is like did i what did i miss last night right <laughs> what did yeah. i miss last night and then depending on your job it might be like do i need to cover that do i just, do I just read about it and consume it or do i actually need to, to do something about it so that would be the only way but it's never unenjoyable it's just sometimes it will push in on on your family or things that you're trying to do yeah, and the mornings always feel behind on the West Coast, but those are all fair counters for sure. And I also will add one thing I will say, the older I get, I, I find myself wanting to talk about sports less outside of it, though, like with, with family and friends, I'm actually more, maybe I will say that. So since I'm so consumed mm, right. with my job and everything, actually the last thing I want to talk about is sports with, with buddies that I haven't seen in a while. So I will say that that has, is, is actually a factor in, has factored in. That's interesting. That's a good point. Actually, you know, something we realize I feel the same way now. Uh, I realize that, yeah, because it's just so much. Uh, I'm looking at fantasy baseball, and then when I see my brothers or my friends, and it man. might also be we're so insulated and cocooned in our NFBC <laughs> world that it's like they have no clue what we're talking about. I mean, in fairness, <laughs> it might just be that. It might just I think be we're crazy. Just, <laughs> right. I think it's just too like like you, like someone comes up to me and it's just like, hey, Fred, how do you think the Jays are going to do this year? Right. And I'm like, ha, huh, yeah, right. I don't totally. know. How deep do you want to get into this? Like, so then I will the more WRC be, plus. Yeah, they. Say Got with a good WRC plus, right? You know, so to, then yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll be more like, good, yeah, they're like they're spending money, they were good last year, like a lot of good young players, yeah, I think they'll be really good, but I don't feel you're right, and I, I think maybe you're 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 satisfied because you're doing all this work in sports, so you don't you're not craving that conversation about the Jays because you're having conversations, so so you know, I, I never feel the urge to be like, hey, someone asked me how the Jays are going to do this year, let's talk for half an hour about that yeah. like i don't i just don't feel that and, I, and maybe if i wasn't doing any work in the industry i would because i'd be starved to talk about it i'm actually way more likely to want to talk like i would love to talk to some of my friends right now about march madness because i have no outlet to write about march madness or cover totally. March madness so 100% i'd love to you. talk about yep. march madness and their brackets and who we think is going to win because that's a new conversation for me the baseball stuff isn't right I feel, do you guys feel like it's lost its luster a little bit college basketball yeah. 
Yeah, I couldn't tell you. You know, yes, like yes, I don't know. Yes. It just felt like it was so much bigger to me, you know, in in the past. Um, I mean, I still watch a little bit of it, but I, I mean, me too. I I totally admit that I used to watch so much of it. Um, all, all the tournaments and a lot of the games. I went to St. John, so I would totally watch at least all the St. John's games and a couple of the Big East games. But I don't know. It just feels like uh like an afterthought to me these days yeah, and it's, it, it seems like yeah. the coverage too it just seems like it kind of disappeared uh, a little bit you know i i still enjoy it but the, well the talent's just not what it used to be because the, so yeah. many players That's play no college basketball or very little college basketball on their way to the nba like you just don't see great players playing three years of college basketball with a point where you can get to know them like right. they're in, you barely learn their name, and then they're in the NBA. That's the problem. And, and you watch a lot of games, and the, and the caliber of play, therefore, is worse. But but I still enjoy it. That said, I'll read the Kin Palm rankings, and I'll and I'll treat them as gospel, and I'll be very certain of who's gonna when my bracket will be uh, <laughs> will very right. That, yeah, get, I do get into the March Madness. I mean, like a sucker, like the recipe. It's it is fun that the tournament. It's hard hard to yeah. hard to argue with games on all day. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. So um, comes, you know, time in the off season, you're getting ready for your play evaluation. And um, just wanted to get a peek into your guys process. Um, how do you get ready? When do you start to get ready? I know Fred, you mentioned when you start to pull out um, projections and such, but um, you know, just uh, what kind of thing are you guys looking at that goes into player evaluations? Um, do you guys use like a projection system uh, or SGP or just like a skill-based thing? Um and also how you maybe look to um, manipulate playing time, you know, the best way. Dalton, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I use projection systems for sure. This year, Steam, I don't know if it's every year, but Steamer came out first. So I use it. Uh, I'm a Derek Cardi guy. So I like the bat. Um, the bat X uses the stat cast. So yeah, I'll input that in the SGP and then it'll pop out my, the rankings for that. And that, that that's pretty much my process. I'll use the bat also for pitching, but I haven't really delved into the com combining different projection systems. Um, I should become far better at Excel. I'm rudimentary, pretty bad at that. Frankly, I'm proud that I figured out Tanner Bell's system. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've, I've known Cardi from like his first time in labor and he was like in diapers practically. So uh, uh, I'm, maybe I'm a homer, but I've just stuck with the bat is my, my main projection system. And I uh, rely on that more so for hitters. Um, and I definitely think the playing time manipulates like some people think you could look at it and think Cardi likes someone in, in reality or vice versa. And he's not even you. He's not even the playing time's not even him. He's just uh, relying on fan graphs. So even those aren't perfect. You have to realize that playing time is very important when looking at projections and pitching. Um, of course, to look at them as well. But that's more so um, I will do uh, my own secret sauce and kind of do more subjective, whereas hitting I'm pretty, pretty damn objective. Yeah, and I believe Derek is using ATC plate appearances this year, okay, and, okay. and 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 that's it, it's a far. I mean, he hasn't updated yet because Ariel hasn't updated yet. And because, ATC combines three, doesn't it? Isn't ATC? A, yeah, I think he combined over ten of, or, or something. Yeah, and calls it his own. But um, he it's it's. I know it's like I'm waiting. I'm like, oh my god, I want to update the rank. You know, their plate appearances. Um, but yeah, I I got into kind of you know melding them 
together a little bit, but I love Derek's system too, especially for the batters. I, I think that's, you know, really, he's been really spot on. I like just the stack cast incorporation as well. Yep. I think it's, yep. I think that's really big. Um, and I think that's awesome. Um, I think that's, you know, I just really started to get into like a projection based, you know, analysis a couple of years ago. I was never really into that that much, but I think it's important to learn what they're trying to capture. You know, I never really understood like everyone's like, Oh, they don't know everything. Like they, they're not saying that, that, that they know everything. It's just, they're just trying to give you the best laid out possibility of what's going to And all the happen. minor league equivalencies, they just do all the history, man. I mean, no matter, I couldn't study from day and night and come up with that. I mean, obviously that's just going to be a little bit more spot on than my median guess, you know? Right. And like you said, I'm, I'm piss poor at Excel. I have no idea what I'm doing. So Tanner does all the work for me and I just, yeah, I'm not the only I, one. Good. yep. And I just stare at it and go, okay, this, <laughs> this works for me. <laughs> Fred, what about you? What's your process? Yeah, I'm one of the, I think I'm one of the few guys out there who does his own projections. So that's cool. Um, starts in November, December. I project whatever five, six hundred players, all their that's badass, time. man. That's, that's awesome. Badass. I didn't mean to, yeah. yeah, I didn't mean to demean that. Dude. I mean, that's crazy. That's intense. It's, it's, it's impressive. I'm, I'm it's, impressed. I don't know. I don't believe it's, it's always worked fine for me. Um, I don't believe it's, I don't believe I can do a better job than projection systems, but I do believe the process of creating the projections is incredibly valuable. Like, like, because I have to think through every player to make those projections. So I start November, December, usually I start mid December. Uh, this year, I, I try to start a little earlier back when I was with MLB, I used to start in like the, literally the beginning of October because they, you would start working on next year's player preview during the playoffs. Um, but I, I find the process really valuable. I project every player and then that, that and I'll, and I'll use SGPs and the, the using the Excel is actually not that hard because you just have to create it once and then every year you can just overwrite <laughs> last year's file, change the names, etc., and and then work from there. So like I wouldn't even be able to remember how to put the SGP formulas in because I probably put them in literally 15 years ago. And now now I change things about the SGP formulas, but the basic formulas are already in there. So, anyways. Um, and then I update it. Like I'm up, I probably updated 25 players today, right. With just different news, uh, you know, Zach Wheeler, this, or, you know, Jesse Winkers traded. So now I go back in and do I want to bump him up a bit or do I want to push him down a bit? And so every, every, every transaction now I go in and look at playing time, or if someone's changing parks, like I'll need to go in after this and look at Andrew McCutcheon and how much do I think he's going to play in Milwaukee in the park and I'll move him up or down. I don't know. I'd have to, I'll have to see where I had him because he wasn't signed. So I was kind of projecting him just based on what I thought would happen. And then I'm that, that spreadsheet is kind of like my best friend until the end of March. And then I can't wait to close it when, when we're done <laughs> draft season. Like I am so sick of that thing, but, but I, I, I like it. I like it for that reason. And I do partner with, with uh, Jeff Zimmerman in, in some leagues and he is more using the projection systems like Dalton was talking about. Um, and, but it's good. He's got, you know, that information. I've got my information as, as we're breaking down players, we can compare that information. And if I differ from the projections, like why, like what, what am I seeing or thinking? And sometimes I'm just wrong. And then I kind of veer back towards them, but at least I've thought the player through. And sometimes I have my own thoughts where I'm like, no, I think this guy is going to play more than the projections think or, or something yeah. like that. Projection systems miss outliers all the time too. I mean, yeah. by obviously, but I mean, they're, and it's, and obviously they're, they're, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, not aggressive on rookies typically too. So anyway, that's awesome. And if, if for no other reason, that's a huge benefit of just knowing the player pool from top to bottom. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tatis is a great example. Like we, we, we opened, you know, talking about his stolen bases. Um, 
all the projection systems have him for, if I had to average all those systems out, as I have in front of me right now, it'd be like 27 steals, 28 steals. So you can totally put that in. But with what we just talked about, okay, then these were if he was playing the full season. Like I never had him at 28 steals because when I was projecting him, I noticed how little he stole late in the season. And I decided to go a little more conservative and I had him more at like 20. So again, I'm off from the projections. Maybe they're right. Maybe I would have been right. Maybe I would have been wrong. But yeah, sometimes the projections are going to miss things like that. I think I think that's really crucial. You said that just the whole process that you do allows you to really have a little memory bank of every single player because I feel like there's some there's some players I just won't completely dive into because um, of what I'm looking at on my sheet or just anything that I don't like in their skill set and I kind of won't do a full dive into you know that player and that probably not a good thing you know. Um, what, what I wanted to ask you about the SGP is, is, um, how, how you set it for the year, you know, do you look back on, on just like one previous year to set the, the SGP factors for the following season? Do you take things into account? Like, you know, like what ball might be being used or stuff like that, like trend in the major leagues, or do you just try to keep it as, as neutral as possible? Yeah. I, t- yeah. Oh, I, sorry. Ahead. I was going to say, I'll tweak my SGP denominators from year to year based on league wide trends, like more steals, less steals, more homers, less homers. The process book is really helpful, right? Because uh, Tanner and Jeff are going to have, you know, near the back of that book, they've got all kinds of different SGPs based on your league size and your format. So I'm going to look at those two and see how far off I am. And I'm also going to tweak them based on my teams. So for example, if I have, if I'm noticing a trend where my teams are consistently falling behind in power or falling behind in steals, or I'm constantly in the bottom half of my league in batting average, then I need to consider maybe waiting that category more in my SGPs because maybe it's a category that I'm either not very good at, maybe not very good at targeting, or maybe it's a category that I'm just not waiting enough and I need to draft more in that direction next year. Like it just makes sense if you have a lot of teams and you're like, hey, I had 10 teams this year and most of them finished in the bottom half of my league in batting average. Okay, I'm going to make batting average worth more in my SGPs next year. And then that'll at least trend my team more towards high average hitters. And, uh, and, and, and if, I, if I was running away in batting average in almost all my leagues, I'd be like, okay, I drafted too much of this. Like I, I need to maybe make it worth a little less next year. So I'll often look at my own teams that way too. That makes a lot of sense. I've I, I've recently talked to Steve Weimer and um, Toby Baffup Crazy about this as well, and and um, Steve does a similar thing. He he really digests his teams and looks at what he you know might draft well. And then I I was talking to Toby about it on my last podcast, and he's you know he was saying like he doesn't know how much that that's him on his own or like the the rest of the league what 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 they did and the, you know how the other you know, um, league mates drafted. And I just thought of the fashion. That's, that, that's a fascinating conversation to be able to try to adjust that based on your history, for sure. This is a weakness in my game. It's like, uh, I, I need to, to go from, I go from football mode to baseball mode. I'm going to jump into drafts. I need to learn to tinker more with this. I just leave that part neutral. Um, mm-hmm. Then by now, honestly, I have my own ranks so ingrained in where they're going in these drafts. Yes. The, the ADPs are, are fluid, but still at this point, I'm just pretty much locked in. I know when players are going and whatnot, but I would say, or uh, instinctively I, I boost 
stolen bases for NFBC. I'll tell you that right now. I don't just treat SGB like gospel. I mean, I'm, I'm drafting some guys, the wits and Mondesi's higher than Cardi's numbers are telling me to, I'll tell you that just because of NFBC mode it's in closers too. They've gotten better at that neutrally, I would say actually, but um, no, for me, my answer is I'm dumb and I leave that, that part, part blank. And I just tinker with my own rankings, you know, as I'm using fantasy pros for Yahoo. So that's, I guess that's my answer to that. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, what about for in-season move? Do you guys use? The, I know Tanner has a way to, you know, put put the put the like the rest of the season um, in in into the for, you know into the sheet to see like what a player might do for you on the pickup side of things. Is that something that you guys use, or are you just picking up as you know like as needed players as needed? I'm horrible at fab. I burned through it too quickly. <laughs> and I know, I know Rudy Gamble has a great system to help with this too. I would love to, to learn uh, what, uh, what, what Fred does. Cause uh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm lazy with it and I don't, I don't use anything. Right. I am similarly late. I'm not lazy, but I spend too much time sometimes on fab, but I don't have enough of a system for like, I don't plug players into those SGPs. I, I treat fab way more maybe than I should way more of an art than a science. And Mm -hmm. you know, where do I think this guy, like I I haven't, some guys like I've never really, I I haven't done a good enough job of that. Like some guys who you could pick up a fab might be like incredibly valuable for three weeks, but then useless after that. Some other guys may be like middling contributors, but maybe for the long haul, like they're like, you think this guy could, I think this guy's gonna be rosterable for the long haul, but he's never going to be very good. Um, so I, 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 like I said, I treat fab more of an art than a science, although I, and I think that is something that, that I could do a lot better with. I'm super aggressive early to the thought process. Obviously five months is more valuable than three months, not, not rocket science. You know, sometimes you get Carlos Rodone and Jake McGee. Other times you get Julian Merriweather, but that's been my strategy. And Zinke's uh, partner Zimmerman called me out on Twitter saying, how are you going to do it with $12 left with two months <laughs> left. And I was battling, we were battling for first in the main event. And I, I did manage $12 with two months left. Partially, that's just me personally. That's not going to be even doesn't matter for other people because of my crazy strategy is I'm never streaming pitchers. So I'm just worried about injuries at that point. And I just need 12, you know, 12 bucks is 12 moves for injuries, but that's more so me because I'm very odd with my, my pitching strategy. And I'm never looking to you know to play matchups with pitchers. ever. I, I did think that Dalton's, uh, and I haven't played in a lot of leagues with Dalton. And I thought that his main event team was one of the most fascinating teams I've ever seen last year. Um, and I know that was a trend for you across leagues, like for, from what I know, right. To go really pitching heavy early last year. I don't know if you're doing that again this year or not. We, have, we haven't been in a league together. Um, but I remember coming out of the draft, looking at your team and being like, wow, this is really an unusual build. And that's nice. Mostly it's mockery. That's, that's it. You're being nice, maybe, because most people flat out make fun of me or say, you know, this is the worst. Someone already, I'm doing the same build right now, and I just did a, a beat Chris List li- uh, league, and right, one of the comments below is, team number three might as well have lit his money on fire. And that's very, co- <laughs> very common to the, re- to the response of my drafted teams. So, sorry, continue. No, your team, I, like, I don't have it in front of me from last year, but I felt like almost all of, say, your first six or seven picks yeah. were pitchers. Yeah. Not all of them, yeah. but most of them. I come out of every draft, even now, eight of 10 are yellow stickers. Eight, eight of, of the, the first, first 10. 10. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's fascinating. Uh, it yeah. is. And then are the other two, like, do they speed. have a profile? Yeah, oh, they speed. speed. Right. So, yeah. so you're trying to get like 40 steals or something between those two guys and then a ton of pitching 
and then you attack the hitting. What I found really fascinating. Okay. Now I'm branching off a little bit, but I, but I actually was super excited to ask this question. I think a lot of people would enjoy the answer, but you drafted in our main event league so much pitching, but then you still spent fab on pitching and I didn't <laughs> see that coming at all. I thought you would spend all of your fab on hitting. Um, it might have been a mistake, and I can't remember who. But if there's a guy like a Rodone, I remember I loved. Sometimes yeah, yeah. I just loved, and I was so upset. I, I it might have been excessive, but my thought is always overall. By the yeah. way, I just looked. I've never done this. I looked at the historical board, and I do have like this. I last year I finished with the second best ERA and the second best WHIP ever for what it's for what it's worth for, wow. to my teams. So didn't result in anything. A main event, I wasn't even top ten or anything, but whatever. So maybe that was too excessive, right? Maybe that is too much. I don't need a two point eight overall <laughs> ERA. So yeah, I'm I'm still tinkering with this man, and I'm still learning and the whole closer situation now is a whole different market too so i'm absolutely tinkering with this system and messing around with it and that could have been a criticism even if i picked up a guy that was great that could have been a poor use of my resources it worked but it worked like you finished second and you were chasing us like i close. thought when you had 12 dollars yeah. left i was like this guy's never i didn't think you'd finish in the top three i was like this guy's gonna get injuries and he's got 12 dollars, and he's gonna mm -hmm. fall out of the race uh, and it didn't happen so I think it's awesome. It really opened my eyes. It, it, it's, it's maybe my most memorable team that I've played against in years. So, so I did that with off season with the three online championships. I did that same strategy and entering the final month, all three were top 35 in the overall. Only wow. one, only one finished top 10, but I won all three from, from beginning to end. It's probably just lucky getting the players and nothing to do with the strategy, you know, and it just, I'm attributing to that, but we're going to see this year. I'll tell you that much because I'm going all in with the strategy oh, yeah. again. Yeah. Nice. yeah. It's the yellow brick road strategy. Yes, it's it been, is, yes. uh, yeah, I've heard of being dubbed that. And, um, I gotta say there, there, there might've been a copycat, um, in, in I've, one of my I've, leagues and, and, and that tagged uh, a couple. Yeah, and I was gonna say it might be mockery in some chats, but in some chats it's 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 like, oh, this guy's doing the Dalton Del Don. So now it's catching on. You know, you got the a serious bit form of flattery. I've actually made that joke before. I'm like, I'm gonna be extra mad. That's assuming I it's actually successful still, but I'm gonna be more mad when people are emulating it than they when they are mocking it, because you know that's gonna you know mess with my 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 plan. But yes, I've been tagged a couple of times on Twitter, people being like, This isn't you, right? And it's full blown, yeah. Six or seven straight yellows to start NFBC drafts. So uh yeah, interesting. Yeah, so that's your strategy. That that's that's pretty awesome. Um, it's 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 different, but like you said, you know, you don't know if it's the strategy or maybe you just picked all the right players too. But um, I think it's 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 so different when you know you see something that everyone says this is not gonna work and it and it works and you know and I think that's great. And I just want to know like how how do you how do you um is there a point where you I believe I saw um Justin Mason was broadcast in the barf league yeah right and and again, yeah. yeah and you broke it up in the middle right or or maybe the third round you picked mondesi or there was a point where yeah right? i jumped him that yeah, was something uh, yeah it was something a little yeah. different so but it was still yellow yeah. brick road all the that. rest yeah yeah he's yeah. the guy i've been going at just because like i said I, I want bags if i'm going to get a hitter for the for the most part but yeah it's 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 pitching and sorry it's starters and then relief i've been going early too so that that I, like i said i'm still figuring out and then i'm in this draft champions mode in my head and i got to realize that that, you know, it's a little different with these fab leagues and, and, and the online championships and those, those, they go a little later and their fab exists. That's another factor. So I'm still, we're all still learning how to deal with relief, relief pitchers right now. Right. Right. Absolutely. Fred, what about you and your starting pitcher strategy? What, what do you tend to, what have you been doing this early season and draft season? Yeah. 
Yeah, I've been pretty balanced. I, I it, Actually, I had an appreciation for what Dalton did because I think compared to a lot of people in the industry, I've been willing to go a little more pitcher heavy. Like, And I'm talking over like 10 or 15 years, like, like back when draft like start your draft with eight hitters was a thing that some people used to do I was never really into that so I've always been pretty balanced like I'm usually trying to get I don't know I like I like the term yellow stickers I'm usually trying to get I don't know maybe five yellow stickers in my first 10 picks or something like that um I've been making sure that at least one of those yellow stickers is a reliever and in some of those draft champions two of the yellow stickers are relievers but um yeah I'm not a, I'm actually I've just never been able to go the full Del Don. Like I I'm okay. Like I'll do it. I'll go like second and third round of starter or first and third round of starter or something like that. If that's where I feel like those are the best players available when I pick, but then I usually just find my mind stems towards balance and I'll be like, okay, Fred, that's enough. Like now you need to get two or three hitters. Like I've never been able to get myself to do that, that, that full Del Don. So, but I've been pretty balanced so far. Just briefly, the thought process is you're basically going to have seven starting pitchers on your team, your starting lineup, and you're going to have 14 hitters. I mean, they're, they're, they're mm-hmm. basically count for, and they each yep. count for half. So that pitcher is going to be twice as valuable is, is my thought process. Yep. Twice as impactful. Right. No, I think that's a, de- a definite great thought process. And I, I just found too, like in, in, in two of my draft champions that did last year, I took a starting pitcher in the first three rounds and I won both of those leagues. Same thing. Don't know if that's just the way it happened out or pick the good pitchers, but um, I always feel like it it, it gives me, um, even in Fab League, one of my main event teams, I was starting pitcher heavy, and I just felt like the same thing. I didn't have to fab starting pitchers a lot, and that was great. Um, but I just feel like if one of one guy at the top does bad, you still got some guys, you know, that are just making that making that up for you. Um, and I don't know it just seemed to be. Yeah, I don't- I don't want a glass now for what it's worth too. That's my other thought. I know these pitchers are, they are the riskiest too. They're one of them is going to blow out their arms. So that's another thought process too. It's just like, that's why I do like the, maybe the gluttony of it, but yeah, I had a lot of glass now last year. It's not, it wasn't totally perfect, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes because maybe it's a total disaster. Boy, I'll tell you what, speaking of projection systems and putting things in, if you put mine into the, to the, you know, the league, typically I'm going to finish, you know, pretty poorly. And obviously if I'm not taking any hitters compared to the rest of the league, you know, so I try to ignore that in, you know, looking at the live standings updates moving forward, because I'm not going to project well. Right. Right. Because your offense is going to be really low. Right. <laughs> look like Joel, yeah. if I yes. ask you a question, <laughs> do, do you find that any, do you find any more success or less success with that pitcher heavy strategy in 12 team or 15 team leagues? I thought, before, so before this year, I would have answered, yeah, 12 team. I think it's a little easier to get the hitters. And that, like I said, my success last year in the Rotowire ones were better than the main event. I was in three main events, first in one, second in yours, and then middle to pack the other. Um, so I think 12 teams a little bit easier than my extreme strategy, um, but it's, it's chaos. 12 teams are more chaos, uh, but I think it's easier to, because just the replacement level for, for hitters is easier. So I think I'm more comfortable with 12 teamers. And I love the universal DH. That is music to my ear, my strategy. I, I need more yeah. at bat. So I was, I, I hated that last year, that the one year that went off of that. So I, I'm happy to hear that. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, is there anything that you guys look at for starting pitchers that um, like in terms of pitch mix and like pitch movement, is that a big part of your evaluation into pitchers? Good. Dalton, Fred, whatever. Go ahead, Fred. It should be more of mine. I, I, I don't probably do that as well or as much as I should. I do try to look at it. I would say that's not an area. If I was to list my fantasy baseball manager strengths, that would not be one of them. 
Me neither. No, I mean either. Yeah, that's that's yeah. No, I'm not to, to that extreme. No, I, will, I love Eno Saris's stuff and looking at the command yeah. plus and whatnot, but and, and stuff plus. But um, no, I'm not. I'm not delving that into those my, myself that granular level. Right. I try to sub that out as well and just uh, take from the experts who understand pitches. But I feel like the more I read about it, the more I do want to learn about it. You know, it's it seems fascinating. It just Sometimes I, I guess I just take in so much and I said, how, how, how much is this really moving the needle in Roto, you know, and, 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 you know, I don't know. I guess that's my biggest thing about trying to factor that in, but it's, sometimes it's you, so much. And if, sometimes you watch someone and they get, they, they, you selective memory can hurt too. Um, I don't mm -hmm. know. I, personally, I like some certain specific stats and I think that messes, takes out a lot of the noise. So um, I don't care how they got there with the, with the picks mix either. And I think sometimes people galaxy brain thinking that too. So I'm actually adamantly against that, to be honest. I'm actually, I don't want, I want to, I actually purposely stay away from that. And I'm more so just the black and white, the, what are the results numbers on specific stats that I personally like. Right. Almost like that metric overload. I, I feel like that was, you know, is there a point where too much information is just, it's, it's, it's not benefiting you. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something I've had to work on because um, I was real simple in my evaluations. And then the, the more I got into NFBC and the more I got, you know, onto Twitter and, you know, just reading things and diving into things. I'm like, Oh, I want to do this. I'm going to do that. And then they, at the end, I'm like, ah, yeah, just going back to my simple ways, <laughs> you know, it can be too much. Yes. 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 You can get just bogged down at some point you need a conclusion and a, right. and a ranking and a projection and, you know, and a, and a bid number, if it's fab during the season, like you can get bogged down and bogged down in numbers and opinions and, like, like, yeah, at some point, I, but you do want to take in, like, like you said, like, like, if you know, Saris is talking about a pitcher, like you, you got to read that, sure. like you want to yes. take that in, but, <laughs> but at some point you got to say enough is enough. And in the end, like you've that, I think that's a huge thing in fantasy right now. Like I, I, I've said that I felt like 15 years ago, we were almost in like, like the information age of fantasy, where if you could get information that your competitors didn't have, you had an advantage. Mm -hmm. That, that was a thing in like 2005 or, or early 2000s. Now I feel like it's, it's the decision-making age. So like the information's all out there, right? And like you can go get all the information. You want to read pitch mix, velocities, all these things. Like it's all out there and people are sharing it and, or you can go research it yourself. It's all the information's out there. Now it's, can you take that information and assimilate it and make the good decisions? And, and yeah. so I, I kind of view this as the decision making, making agent fantasy where it's not hard to get information. It's hard to take it all and filter some of it out and, and come to a conclusion. And I'm yep. very into quote unquote analytics and will write about it big time. And I'll come across as a nerd and maybe too much numbers when writing. But my strategy personally is also a lot of this anecdotal stuff like I'm naturally going after the hitters that are kind of coming off down years, a quote unquote last year's bums. And mm. you know, the projections are not going to like obviously Bellinger and Yelich as much as they did last year, but those are kind of the guys I'm targeting, the Glaber Torres guys coming off down years, um, but were drafted five rounds earlier last year, almost like using last year's ADP for my hitters uh, strategy. And there's, that's not really a science, you know, or, you know, to that. That's just more like, uh, oh, that guy. Could have been dealing with off-field thing. Could have been unreported injury. Could have been whatever bad Babbitt luck. Whatever. But I'm, I like personally targeting guys coming off bad years. And there's no real like stat to explain that. Right. No, absolutely not. I I, I remember when I first started getting into the analytics side of baseball. Uh, I was reading Baseball HQ, and you know that uh, Ron Chandler used to always talk about ex 
extreme regression drafting, you know, XRD, he called it. It's just exactly that, taking the part of the draft, just doing the math, guys who fell X amount in ADP or, and, and you know, targeting those guys because, uh, as we know, you just take the simple tweak or something to get back onto that track. Or it's like, oh, we were targeting him in round five last year. You know, why is he, you know, round 25 this year? Sure. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So how are you guys doing the reliever market this year? Um, it's, it's been, it's been wild to see the push up for closers, obviously, um, you know, there's been a, a grand shift in the way the real life closers are being used. So, um, especially in the draft champion season, you've seen a lot of pitchers go, a lot of the closers are going really high. And, um, I just wanted to know if you guys have been following that path in your, um, draft and hold seasons. I, I I've been, I, I can jump in first. I, I've, in the draft champions, sure. I've been, I've been in, I've been taken. Uh, I'm fine with Hendricks or Hader in round three, maybe even late round two, two, three turn. Who cares? It's just semantics at that point. Um, I, I don't mind Iglesias in round three or four. You know, I don't mind some of those other guys, Presley, Romano, whatever, Diaz in round five or something like that. Like I've been, and I've been willing to take two of them. Um, I, I'm going to, trend out of that now that we get into fab leagues I, I haven't really done a lot of fab i've done my labor draft but i haven't done a lot of fab fab leagues but i'm going to trend out of that and probably get an anchor and go back to fishing a little more for relievers i, I think this just those are just two different games but in the draft champions i fully bought in we'll see if it works but in most of my draft champions leagues i had two closers by the end of round seven or eight or something like that yeah, draft champions, I've been a crazy person. I set the all-time, I had to be the all-time men on relief pitcher because I'm doing a lot of draft champions and I just wanted to experiment and, and Burns and, and Cole were already off the board. Uh, Bueller was my number three pitcher. He's been coming back sometimes. So anyway, I took Hader at seven overall um, and uh, I typically take him in the second uh, on, these, on these drafts. And like I said, I had this experiment one time. Um, and a lot of times uh, these, this middle tier of pitchers, I'm okay with, you know, whatever. I'm letting the different leagues pick them. That whole tier is pretty much a, a, a big group of a dozen or so. So I'm comfortable with taking, reaching for the Iglesias. So exactly what Fred said, I have two closers after seven rounds personally. And I'm, I'm, I'm jumping these guys in, in, in DCs, especially I'm not, I will not be as aggressive in, in, in the fab leagues, but um, we'll definitely expect Hater to get traded to the Mets now for all my leagues in which I have Diaz and Hater. I'm just waiting for him to set up in New York now. I will say yeah. that for, um, for, people who have played this game a long time. I remember years ago taking Eric Gagne wow. in round one. Um, oh, you have. So, oh, wow. Nice. Okay. I'm not. So the, I okay. just, I just, just to like for, for people who are listening who haven't played fantasy baseball for this long. So there's a three year stretch from 2002 to 2004 where Gagne in three seasons had a hundred 152 saves. <laughs> he had a 179 ERA, a 0.82 whip and 365 strikeouts. That is insane. Wow. So you're basically averaging, uh, you're basically averaging about 120 strikeouts a year, about 50 saves, <laughs> and I know there were more saves back then, but 50 and an ERA below two and a WHIP around 0.8. And I remember taking him in the first, in the middle of the first round of a draft, and I was like, this guy is just like he's he's in, at the time. I was like, this guy's incredible. Like, why not like take those stats? And, and that, he was and pitch, doing pitch, that during the steroid right era. 
doing that during the steroid. I mean, he was probably yes. right out of his gourd too, but all the hitters, I mean, Bonds was turning on that 103 mile an hour fastball, yes. pulling it foul at that epic at bat that they had. But wow, well, that Gagne, okay. That now you make me feel bad because Hater ain't even going to be at, there's no way Hater can do that. He's only, they only ask him to throw six. <laughs> it's all compared, but it's all comparative. If Hater could yeah, get 40 totally saves. The steals, yeah. Yeah, if he get 40 saves, and he can he can mimic those ratios, an ERA below two, a whip around 0.8. If he get 40 saves and 100 strikeouts, like that in this era, so yeah, I do remember taking closers in round one. That did happen. Love it. Love it. I remember during during the um, during the lockout, I think the um, someone did like a, I think I think it was Eno and Derek and Riper did like this competition where you had to go back in into like a, a certain part, like from the 80s to the current time and take like a player from, I don't know, you couldn't have one more, more than one player from a team or one more than one person from a specific year. And I remember specifically going and checking the, the relief pitchers. And I remember locking into Gagne's stats for the, I was like, Oh my God. And so when you just said that, that immediately reminded me of that. I was just fascinated by 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 that and i think i was still playing stratomatic at that time too and i i could have sworn he had a player card that only out of like uh, 36 um ways to get an outer hit he only had about two 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 spots where you can really get on base it was impossible yeah and it was like a walk one of them was just walk (laughs) yeah yeah but that was that's one of my favorite uh um i don't know if you guys have ever seen um uh, when Gagne talks about that, you know, Bond, Bond at bat, I, I think he made a talk about it with Trevor Bauer too in one of his uh, blogs, but it was pretty fascinating. I never knew the behind the stories about that. They, they were playing overseas and, and Bonds uh, told them, you know, don't be afraid to pitch to me. And he kind of like challenged him to pitch that. That's really, that's just a fascinating story. You know, he had a run to play with. In fairness, he had a run to play with. Bonds he did, yeah, off yeah. him, and he still was up a run. But yeah, yes, props to him for pitching to him. But in fairness, he did have a run to play with. But he yeah. did. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but getting back to the closes, I totally agree. I think in Fab, uh, for Fab League, definitely want to get that one anchor, and then can kind of, uh, you know, maybe wait a little longer to get that second guy and 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 try to Fab, um, Fab have rest. I feel like in the main events last year, um, it was my first full season main event playing in. Um, I wouldn't say it wasn't easy to get saved, but toward the end of the season, I was surprised at how um, how I was able to attack it in a certain way to gather some saves toward the end of the year, um, especially with people either just running out of money or um, um, dumping closers too, because maybe they were at a certain point where they didn't need saves anymore. Um, but it, it's, it's definitely fascinating. How do you guys... Um, feel about you know the whole skills over roles things when it comes to like a bullpen maybe that you know hasn't doesn't have like a concrete answer of who the closer will be are you more thinking like that manager speak well you know we'll go with the guy who they usually trust as a closer or trying to speculate on that like on the on the lights out arm that should be the closer I guess it depends on the situation, but typically I'm a skills guy. Uh, certainly, yeah, I'd say I'm more of a skills guy, but this is just a wild west right now. After the six top six relievers, and even then, Ryan Presley, I mean, it's no guarantee that Houston doesn't trade 
for a guy. You get Chapman. I mean, people think he might be done. Jansen's still unsigned. Will Smith injury prone. I mean, is Gallegos and Romano going to be the closer? And that, I mean, it's, it's crazy how the question marks start so soon. So you'd have a fair argument to be like, yeah, those guys with the roles, those five, six guys, that's why their ADP is so high. And that's what makes them so valuable. But otherwise, then when you get into more speculation, then I'm all about just skills. Then I, then I ignore the rest. And then I go after the guys I think are the best pitchers and hope the chips fall right but you know then you fall guilty to to the assumption of managerial uh, smartness and that's always you're often wrong on that <laughs> managerial smartness i like that one <laughs> Intelligent. it does feel better to chase the, the if, if we're talking about you know unsettled bullpens it, it feels better to chase the skills and trust that the manager will eventually right. see it the same way rather than grabbing but that being said like mark melanson got a lot of saves last year ian kennedy got a lot of saves last year alice colomay got some saves last year like some of these guys who aren't known as amazing relievers they do have that i'm a veteran and i can close kind of mantra about them and so i mean you have to balance it sometimes you you have to you try to, you're, you're never going to strike gold with some of those guys like like ian kennedy like this year he's probably not but last year like he got you some saves but he's not awesome like if you, if you go, if you chase the skills, then maybe you can find like someone who becomes like a top 10 closer. Like that's just, that's just not in the wheelhouse for some of those other guys, I guess it was for Melanson last year, just cause he was lucky to get such an incredible volume of saves, but mm-hmm. at that, that's just luck. Like I'd rather chase the guy who, right. Who you're thinking like, Hey, if this guy emerges from this bullpen, like he's really good. He could, he'd get me great ratios and the saves. So I'd rather go in that direction. What do you think about Brad hand? You think he's going to get a shot to close or you think it's going to be? No, I think he's terrible. No, I, I, I know. Blue Jays fan here. I watched him here in Toronto last year, but. Would they pay him that much to, I mean, he's not a setup guy. He's never been like a a situational setup guy. I just, Hmm. I watched him in the Mets last year too. He, he definitely didn't look, you know, at his peak. I toward, toward the, he had a couple of games where he upped his slider and he, he, he looked like he was putting guys down better than he was, but he was still hittable when he went to the fastball. But I just wonder if that's like a quick pitch mix. I don't know. I was looking at his rolling average graphs and it's, it's interesting. I just don't know if, if they pay him to be a setup guy. I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's one of those old veteran guys that might, they just put, I don't know if, Hanable can even do back to backs. You know, I don't know if he's going to be able to handle that type of workload or he, I know Joe Girardi usually likes the one guy, but it just seems like they're just arming themselves with guys to potentially run out, you know, as a situational type thing. Yeah, I agree with both of you. And this succinctly puts it uh, well, he's terrible and, but a real threat. <laughs> to, to get yeah. yeah. He's, yeah. he's both he's terrible, but an absolutely, a, uh, you don't love it if you have Canable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, yep. That's state of Absolutely. Place. What do you guys um like to do with like the hybrid pitchers? Like the uh, I guess maybe some six, seven like starters on teams, or just guys like Tanner Houck and Ashby, Garrett Whitlock, where we don't know like their workload concerns. Like, how do you guys evaluate pitchers like that in terms of like where you might put them? Like when you put them head to head with a guy like maybe Adam Wainwright, who falls like where those guys go in ADP, who you know is going to pitch all the time and may not be incredible, um, but you know just you now you come back in those innings. How do you you know evaluate those type of pitchers? 
Ashby eight days a week for me over a Wainwright type. I'm always swinging for the fence as a young guy, unproven with upside, uh, even if he doesn't have a, a spot in the rotation right away. Um, typically, I'm drafting hitters at this part of the draft, but a, a Hauk or an Ashby, I'd be happy to. Ashby actually have a couple of, a couple of shares of him. But, uh, but yes, no, I'm after the upside young guy, unproven uh, prospect over the Wainwrights of the world, uh, like I said, eight days a week. I, um, for me, it depends on league size a little bit. Um, I've had some success, like in the last two years, I did the tout NL league and I chased a lot of Wainwright types, just guys who would give me the innings because innings are hard to come by in an, in a, in an NL or an AL only. So, and that proved to be, uh, really successful. I remember having him. I remember having Kyle Davies a couple years ago or Zach Davies, my bad Zach Davies a couple years ago when he had that nice little short in 2020 season, just guys who are just just take the ball every fifth day um, in mixed leagues though. Yeah. I usually will rather chase the upside guy. Yeah. That totally makes sense. I think, uh, I think Ashby got a little bit uh, of a good news today where they said they're stretching him out to be, definitely be a starter. So that should, uh, that should help that for um, everyone to draft a little bit of Ashby. All right. So let's end some picture talk with a little bit of would you rather's. I was looking at some online championship ADPs for the last two weeks. Um, some guys that are bunched together. Would you guys rather have Willie, per- um, Freddie, Freddie or Arthur, not Willie Peralta, Freddie Peralta or Chris Sale? I'll take Chris. I'll take Chris Sale. I, I like them both. Um, I think maybe Chris Sale can go to an innings place if everything broke right, that Peralta is not ready to go to yet. Um, but I, I like them both, but I'll take Sale. This is a really good one. I have them ranked very closely. Uh, I had the pleasure of having Peralta on many teams last year. For some reason, I maybe it's just his build. I think he's totally legit performance-wise, a thousand percent legit. But for whatever reason, I worry about if he can do it again with a bigger workload, whereas Sale, I think, is ready. And I mean, it's been a full year after the Tommy John. And I know it's a bit of a of leap of faith, but he's still young enough. So I, I would actually go with Sale's uh, upside, but uh, very close. Yeah, interesting. It is, it is close. Um, I think that Chris Sale just brings that, like you said, that name value where he, to, he he's young enough. I think that you put that perfectly right. He's young enough where he maybe he could take that, you know, that that bounce up by to the, you know, to 180, 190 inning workload. I don't know. Um, Peralta, I don't know if anything at the end of the year was to be concerned about, or, you know, with them just limiting his innings, I guess, to preserve him for playoffs or, you know, he was going out and pitching like three or four innings in the last couple of weeks, which is kind of annoying on, on you know, on the teams that had him, but he was awesome. Yeah, no, that's a sour taste in my mouth. You're right. right? I have this weird taste in my mouth that he's, yeah, I, I think maybe that's it. And maybe that's wrong. There's a lot of pitchers that faded the last month, but um, yeah, for whatever reason I have that. And that's, yeah, there, there's, there's nothing to his metrics point to him being a legit star in my, my view, but this is totally subjective. I just, for, if I have the, when the, when it comes to it, I've always pushed the other button at a person like sale. Yeah. Our brains do some weird things to us. <laughs> like you said, it, maybe it could be nothing that little, you know, that little stretch he had, it shouldn't be a sour taste, but it, it kind of is a sour taste. Um, all right. Next group of players, uh, Lance Lynn or Max Weed. I will say Milwaukee, whatever they're doing in the pitching there is just amazing, man. The relievers too, you oh, look right. at, they're just nasty. I mean, they're just all legit, those guys. I mean, even Jake Cousins is uh, is the guy no one even talks about, and he looks like he could be a, a star out of the pen. Um, these two are opposite. I don't like either of them. They're on zero of my teams. They go far later than I have them ranked. Um, I would take Freed. I like. I would take Freed over over Lynn, but neither of them are anywhere. I'm always like, whoa, and I go way below on my cheat uh, cheat sheet whenever they're drafted, right or wrong. Okay. Actually, same. I have zero shares of either one. I'll take Freed too, but I have zero shares of either one. I kind of was a Lance Lynn guy for a couple of years, and maybe he's just kind of aged out a bit. I feel like he hasn't really, he's gotten older. He hasn't really dropped 
I don't know. He's not usually a whip whip asset. Um, so yeah, I, like I said, I, I have zero shares of, of both of those guys. This was a selfish question because I don't have shares of these guys either. And I'm hmm. just trying to get some different opinions. Some people on who it. I really <laughs> respect in this industry I've seen in my industry draft so far take Max Freed. So right. maybe I'm yeah, missing the boat on him. him. Yeah, people yeah. love him for sure. Yep. Yeah, people yep. picking up Cy Young, Dark Horse. Yeah, I see that too for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the biggest thing is a lot of people questioning how, how, how reliable the contact suppression is. You know, like how, yeah. how you know how can that work? You know, all the time. So I guess that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And him. in a tiebreaker, I prefer my pitcher not having just gone to the World Series and pitched that deep in a season. But nitpicking maybe a little bit there. Mm. Mm. Interesting. All right, last one for the arms, uh, Michael Kopech or Shane Baz. So I love both these guys, and I will yeah. talk. I would like to fill out my rotation with them because there's so much upside. I'm like, even though I'm loaded in pitching, I can't help myself. First of all, I recorded an entire Yahoo thing, and I picked Shane Baz as my breakout player. And I guess it's pronounced Boz. I guess uh, I found out uh, yeah. very embarrassingly afterward. Yes, okay. I guess it's. I don't. Hey, I did it on a whole. No one said anything to me, and it's out there for uh, whatever. <laughs> Dozens of people saw me mispronounce it, but but uh, Shane Boz would be my slight pick here, especially today's news that Kopech may be slightly behind, but it doesn't sound like anything serious. Love both these guys. Can't. Go wrong i think they're both going to be immediately dominant uh maybe only get 130 innings out of them but they're going to be like ace like right away i'm in on both i have no shares of either um i think that's a part of the draft where i often take hitters um that being said i would take boz nice yeah uh he I think I agree with you, Dalton. I, I think they're both they're both going to be special, um, even in the limited inning. They're, they're the type of guys who, when you just put that total innings pitch away, because even if it's 100, it might be like a magical 100 for sure. And that, I think the ceiling is, is unlimited for both of them. And I just, I don't know, Boz has something, when he came up the pitch, and even though it was brief, when he faced, faced uh, the Yankees, he just looked, I don't know, his fastball yeah. just, yeah, his fastball just looked so, and he just looked like he's so effortless. And, you know, I trust the Rays with, you know, what they're going to do with uh, just really unleashing him, you know. Let for me sure. throw something back at you guys, though. What do you guys project wins? I mean, look at that lineup for the White Sox, and Boz has to face the East and, and the Tampa Bay. They're smart, but they don't let them pitch deep into games. Do you factor that into your, in your project or in thought process wins? That's a tricky one that I've, you know, going back and forth with. Yes, I do. And I think that maybe that's one of the reasons that I don't have shares of either one is I'm just not sure what kind of length. Um, yeah, like I think they'll be good on a per inning basis. I'm just not sure what kind of length either one of them sure. are going to get. So if I am going to take a picture in that area, um, I don't have their ADP right in front of me right now, but maybe I just take like a boring, I, I'll pull Chris Bassett because he just got traded into my, out of my head. I think his ADP is kind of in and around those guys. And he's just more of like a steady guy who probably projects to win more games i know boz did win yeah. both of his starts last year no, but... no no that's fair yeah no maybe that's a, a fault of mine of going after these guys who don't pitch deep into games and it's not just bad luck when i do throw my hands up like some leagues last year and i was dominant in era whip and strikeout rate yet not winning in wins you know because mm-hmm. the, the league is increasingly getting more and more wins from the relief pitchers too so that yeah. that doesn't help my strategy although i guess if i'm getting the aces theoretically that would help from the front end. But that's a frustrating thing is that wins are just such a wild variable. You know, I mean, you have the, the best pitchers and they could do whatever, just fall short in that category by no fault of their own. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That totally makes sense because you're looking at the, you know, how, how many innings they'll give you per start, you know? Um, and 
I just feel like I feel okay with both of them getting to five. And I feel great about both of their bullpens too, especially, you know, the White Sox. Now they're just signing every <laughs> top arm, like, you know, to go with crochet and bummer and, and, you know, Kimbrel still on the team probably won't be, but still, it's just, I feel okay with them getting to five and the team doing enough offensively and with their bullpen and, you know, to, get a win um obviously you're not looking i i feel like they're almost the type of pitchers that i consider like just that gravy pitcher where i already have four maybe even five pitchers and i'm taking them to just like the icing on the cake like if this guy pops to go like the rest of my staff it's going to be great not carrying you know not counting on them to really carry my win workload per se to just give me those numbers um, but I think it could work that like that, but there's, I agree that I think they're both definitely going to be, um, pretty special this year. Um, just one of those, just sit back and enjoy them, you know, watching them pitch for sure. Um, turning over to the bat side of thing. So, um, I guess Dalton, I want to ask you first, you know, how, how do you try to make up, uh, stolen bases specifically when you start down that, you know, magical yellow brick road that you go on you know how do you try to piece that together after you have so many pitching yeah uh, well like i said I'm, i haven't been shy about going after mondesi or straw and or straw the, the mm. smash brothers um but um i uh, <laughs> then there's there's jonathan br there's garrett hampson there's brujan uh later there, there there are options that are still out there i mean the steals are decreasing across the league too you need fewer of them but um yeah it's obviously tricky when you start with pitching and other guys are getting those bank 2025 with the bichettes of the world so that is why of my two bats it's typically trying to go after i've gone after a rose arena if he falls actually i have in the mid round um but um yeah, that, that, that's why I'm 100% cognizant of you got to get, I got to get bags if I'm getting uh, with my bats. That's what, even if like some, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, if there's a, a great hitter falls way past, you know, a, a Bregman type or something, I'm just, I'm, I'm more interested in, I need to, I really, really, really make a point of getting stolen bases. Interesting. And you know what? I, I don't know. Mondesi, I had, I hear a lot of people just saying yeah. he's strictly speed, but the, I don't know. He he's had he he has some power metrics that have been really popping off the page in in limited at bats, but still it, it it I think he can do a lot more in the power department than a lot of people think. Montesi's never played 105 games. It's such a risk to play in the third round. His manager flat out said this offseason that he may not even be an everyday player. I mean, it is just gigantic risk no question about it but yeah and it comes and hit 19 homers uh what is he projected for 19 homers and to lead cardi has him leading the league in steals in 120 games or something <laughs> i mean it's i uh, we'll, we'll we'll see but i i am well aware that i'm being risky with with that guys what do you, do you have thoughts on zinky what are your thoughts on, on mondesi my guy i've been out so far i i've chosen not to bundle my steals i guess in it, he makes perfect sense for what you're trying to do with the pitchers right because if Montessi plays the full season, he could have twice as many steals as anyone else, like literally twice as many steals as the next guy. Um, that being said, uh, like the odds of him playing the full season <laughs> seems pretty slim. He's not a good player, like overall, like his, his yeah, that little fact too. Yeah. yeah his career on base yeah. is 283. His career OPS is 701. He does have a bit of pop. I agree with that. People who say he's a one category guy, he's not a one category guy. In fact, he doesn't hurt your batting average. Like he's career for 249. He's going to basically have no impact on your batting average. He'll drag it down like a point. Like he's not going to really impact your batting average. And if he, if he plays half the season, he'll hit whatever a dozen home runs. If he played the whole season. He might even hit 20. So 
like he, he he's the most interesting guy in fantasy baseball right now because a full season of Odyssey could literally be like 20 something homers and like 75 steals or 70 steals or something like he's fascinating. Um, I've chosen because I've been more balanced and I I'm similar to Dalton in that I want to address steals in those first few rounds. So I'm going to plug away. I have Trey Turner on a bunch of teams where I've picked early. I've been fortunate to pick early in a lot of drafts. I have some Bo Bichette. Um, I have some Whit Merrifield. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to chip away at steals. I'm going to try to get like 40 or 50 steals there somewhere in the first four, four or five rounds. And then I'm going to chip away with some guys maybe who steal 10 or 12. Um, and then I just don't really need a modesty. I can get to my 120 or so without, and I've been aware of that. I've been trying to get to about 120 and I don't mind going to 130 or something in a league. Um, so it, it's very, very, the steals are very, very important to me, but I'm going to try to spread them out. A couple of guys who I think will get 20 or more. And then a bunch of guys who I think can get 10 and a, and a few guys who I can sneak in just those sneaky guys who get like five or six, right? Like the Anthony Rizzo types. So they'll get you just like five steals instead of a first base and getting you zero uh, Christian Vasquez. I have in a lot of leagues. Uh, there's six, like six or seven catcher steals there that I have real Muto in some leagues, right. Yes. Where you get some catcher steals that you wouldn't, wouldn't normally get. So um, really important to me, but I haven't, I have no Mondesi. I have no miles straw. Um, I do have some wit Merrifield. I feel a little uneasy about that, but okay with it so far. Another guy I will jump the stick with the Royals who just run is I will jump a wit ADP. If I don't have Mondesi okay. or the, I will go with Bobby Witt, And that's another guy. My, my Cardi would not approve. He does not have him ranked uh, to where he should, where I would be willing to draft him. But uh, I think with the new CBA, he'll be up right yes. away. Hopefully in the bags will be there. So that's, that's my other steel guy is a, a, a plan B. Or yeah, C I, I bumped I Witt up Witt. after, after I saw the CBA, I did bump Witt up a bit. And, and as far as playing time, but then you bump up all the counting stats and he shoots up your rankings a couple of rounds. And then I would say you did a great point of saying that he, that Mondesi fits my uh, build, whereas mm-hmm. it's the exact reason why I'm personally avoiding DeGrom. DeGrom is the guy you should be drafting around eight hitters, you know, so if he pops off, he helps. I, I'm, I'm not going to need the ERA and whip help like the, by that, right. that degree, you know, so I don't need the injury risk. So but it's yep. the exact same reason that I'm personally passing on DeGrom because I don't need him to be the world's the earth's best pitcher because I'm going to be loaded with pitching stats. I just need the more safety there. So that's conversely i'm going for the upside the the huge bust boomer bust in the hitting hitting side fred you mentioned the 2070 possibility that like gives me flashes of like the jose reyes do it. Uh, you know i mean jose reyes i just oh, I popped him yeah i know being a meth fan he he was my guy i just yep. love i love i love watching the go like just watching him make it like get to third base on a triple was just like fascinating. It was better than any home run that any, any home run that Delgado Beltran hit off the scoreboard. It it, it was just like, he was just electric, but it was interesting. I just brought up his player page in 2007 when he stole 78 bags, he got caught stealing 21 times. It's almost a hundred attempts. That's just wild. You know, just see the difference in, uh, in stolen base attempts. But, um, yeah, but I agree with the bundling of steals. Um, I feel like, um, I have a little sour taste of in my mouth too about that because last year in one of my main events that I had strong pitching, I I I I went pitching heavy and and I tried to bundle the steals and it just left me short on power and I think that's one thing I just have to do a better job of of trying to attack uh you know just picking the right 10, 12 steel guys eight steel guys because I do love a bunch of them like the Benintendi's of the world and um just just finding those eleven twelve steals across uh 
but I just got to do a better job of, 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 of getting more power with that. I didn't do that in my one main event nights probably cost me the league, you know? So, but, uh, steals are, steals are one of our favorite things to, uh, <laughs> to look into for sure. Obsess um, over, yeah. 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 Cause like you mentioned with, with bundling the steals, I feel like, um, I used to do the wrong thing in power too. You know, I used to just get too many of the extreme home, run guys but they used to like if they don't hit that potential uh if they don't reach that threshold that number that you're thinking that it, it kind of you know shoot down your overall home run expectancy instead of just trying to rely on a bunch of guys who hit 20 18 25 you know instead of just getting a bunch of oh i'll just you know grab you know grab duval and joey gallo and, and i'll make that home run gap up um i just wanted to know if you guys do something like kind of the same way or do you look at that trying to not get too many extreme home run guys um i i don't mind getting some i don't mind getting a couple extreme home run guys later on because i attack steals early so like i'll do that later on i am trying to avoid the the true batting average sinks those guys who like like i'm I'm nothing i have no interest in gallo i am trying to avoid those guys who are going to hit like 210 or something I'll, i'll get a homer guy a heavy homer guy if he's hitting 235 or something but i have my limits on that i i don't want to i don't want to deal with the 210 batting average guys dalton will you draft guys like that so i'm fully out on gallo specifically but and i've been wavering back and forth on the sanchez and zuninos of the world just because if you wait deep, long enough and the 25 homers from catcher just sounds so nice in my strategy and i'll admit the one category often that i come away with is batting average and that's just kind of on purpose it's the one that fluctuates a babbit you're in here so i'm i'm happy with let that fall where it's may but yeah where it may but i yeah i'm not have i have zero gallo but I do find that's why I like this strategy is I think power's available uh, routinely late. You know, I mean, Miguel Sano, Brandon Belt, Josh Donaldson, Matt Chapman, Johanna Suarez, these guys are, Adam Duvall went in like the 18th round. I got him in a 15 team or he led the national league in RBI last year. So I, I do feel like that's why I like the strategy. I think power is readily available in the middle rounds, but with that does come some batting average risk, no doubt. Yep. Great point about those guys too. I love that little grouping right there that you mentioned. It's uh, solid. You get some style at that. Um, so you mentioned average too. So you just like to let that fall where it falls. You're not really targeting, targeting too much or worrying yeah, about I'm that. I'm not drafting the Arias or Brantley's to counter it. I'm really not. I mean, it sounds nice, but uh, no, I mean, there's some teams where batting average and it, it falls. Do I happen to have a decent looking batting average team? But I would say the majority of my teams are, are power heavier and it looks like, ooh, that could be a batting average problem. And I just kind of let that go. I would say that would be my, my biggest risk coming out of drafts, I would say, is, is batting average. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've been just trying to attack batting average by just mostly avoiding the guys who are going to kill it. Yeah, I find you naturally I, get yeah. some guys who are going to help it. Like, especially, so actually this would be a problem, not a problem for Dalton, but an issue. Like if you draft early round hitters, I think you just kind of naturally get some guys who hit 290 or 300. Right. Like whether you get Turner or Bichette or Soto or Guerrero or something, if you take a hitter in round one, it's a good chance that you get a, uh, unless you draft Jose Ramirez or something, but other than that, there's a good chance you'd get a high batting average guy. Same with round two, round three. Like if you draft some hitters early, you probably get some good batting average. Um, and then I just try to avoid, like I said, the guys who are going to kill it, kill my batting average after that and hope that it just, it's not going to stay at the 280. It might've been after my first couple of hitters, but make it like a slow slide down rather than, than having it drop off a cliff. One thing about those low batting average guys that I think no one ever mentions is if you get them late enough, you don't have to play them all the time. Mm. Like, 
Great point. Like you can get that. You don't. Ha- you don't have to use Adam Duvall every week if you get him in like like you're saying like round 18 or 20 or something like that. Use him some weeks. Don't use him some weeks. Massage your average as the season goes along. Get some of his power, but not all of it, depending on the matchups and the week or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, if if you're gonna draft someone like that in round 12, you got to use him every week. Or probably should. If you're gonna draft him in round 18, if you get him round 18, you don't have to use him all the time to justify the pick. I know your uh, your partner uh, Jeff Zimmerman um, is very vocal this year about targeting average. Said because he said it crushed him last year. <laughs> so he, I've heard him on the Launch Angle podcast mention that several times. So um, are you teaming up with him again this year for teams? Yeah, I think so. We haven't. We kind of just left it till the lockout ended, and then kind of see where things settle for there, which leagues are filling and things like that. But yeah, I, I would like to do that. And, and I, I it would be interesting to see with Jeff, if this is just like an overreaction to some struggles in batting average last year. And at the end of the year, will he think that was a good move or will not a good move? I, I applaud him for having an idea, just like I, I did with Dalton with the pitchers. I applaud Jeff for having an idea. Like he's assessed his teams from last year. He thinks he needs to attack batting average much harder. He's going to go do that. Um, and let's see where the, where it all settles by the end of September. And it might be the smartest thing he's ever done or one of the smartest things he's ever done in this industry, or he might decide that it wasn't worth it. So, but I, but I like that. He's got a, he's researched it. He's got a plan. And he's going to see how it carries out. Right. That Jerry, that's uh very Jeff for sure. Yes. Yes. I, I think it's fascinating too. Like for, you know, like Dalton strategy, like I've heard him say on podcast too, like he doesn't have to look at the top, hundred picks uh <laughs> offensive side of it you know he just yeah. right Dalton you you don't have to even you're not even like you know looking at those guys or diving into them you're just like nope that's gonna be my pitching spot and this is the player pool I'm looking at for offense yeah this next one you're gonna ask me what batter would I rather I'm like oh well I, I don't have any of these guys on my team so I, 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 a vague opinion I'll give you, I, but yeah. I didn't go low enough yet yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny. no 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 yeah yeah that is so true yes the Casey Chaw eliminate player pool yeah I, I naturally do that with my strategy is this I don't I, I don't have to look in any research of the top 60 or so hitters that's fascinating <laughs> makes life easier for you Oh, yeah, so you mentioned okay, so I'm lazy, what, like I said, I wasn't which, joking. You know. Burn all my fab in the first six weeks, and yeah, you know, only have to really eliminate the player pool in my research. So yeah, yeah, it works. Important. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so yeah, quick, quick, um, two would you rather's um bunched together in like the eighty eighty peak, Catel Marte, Brandon Lau, and um, Jorge Polanco. Brad, you want to go I'll, first? I I can go first since I might actually draft one of these guys. <laughs> so. Um, I'll take Polanco, um, a little bit more, a little bit of steals there, not a ton, but like maybe 10 ish, which is nice in this day and age. Um, I like Polanco. I, I, I had a ton of Polanco last season as one of those, like Dalton was talking about just bounce back guys who was so bad in the short in 2020 season. And I thought he can't, his draft price was really low. I was getting him like round 16, 17, and he had a full-time job and had been great in 2019. So I actually don't mind all of these guys. I never get Marte. I find he often goes at near the front end of that group and I have him last of the three. I have a, I have some Polanco and I often never get actually Lau probably steals about the same amount of bases as Polanco. I feel a little better about Polanco's batting average. That's probably why I have him ahead of Lau um, just barely. So it's almost like certain players block certain other players. I have no Lau 
because I tend to have Polanco and Altuve ranked ahead of Lau. So if I'm going to take a second baseman in that range, I take one of them. So I just never get Lau. I don't mind him. He's often near the top of my queue. He just never gets to the very top. And that's not a place in the draft where usually a guy's going to fall like a whole round or two. Um, So it just, it just never happens, but I don't mind him at all. Yeah. Yeah, For me, this is going to sound hypocritical, but um, after what I just said about batting average, but I do love Marte's batting average and I have him, uh, have him actually ranked highest among these three hitters, but looking at ADP, the answer here looks like Dylan Cease to me is what the answer is. (laughs) (laughs) The answer is always Dylan Cease. Boom. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. One more here. Um, Different spots, but I just want to see um, where you guys maybe would prioritize the shortstop, but William Dames at pick 120, Glaber at 150, or Ahmed Rosario at 180. Dalton, will I love you take a hitter at this point. Yeah, I will. Yeah, I love Adamas <laughs> from last year, man. I even I even looked at that home road splits and him getting traded was just so perfect. So I have a soft spot for him. But give me all the Glaber Torres this year. He fits my my last year's bums mantra. Maybe the power was a fluke that he'll never come back, but at least he ran last year. So the reports of him showing up looking looking slim, some some of those best shape of life stories mean something. And I like the guys that are coming off down years showing up in shape. So yeah, give me in that Yankee lineup. Maybe he'll not be the star that everyone expected, but this guy's ADP was, it's 150 now. What was it last year? I mean, a lot, lot, lot higher. So um, yeah. yeah, give me Glaber Torres. Yeah, I think he was in the 40s, 40s or 50s in the main event season. 100, 100 spots lower this year. Yeah. Yep. I've been I've been out on Torres. He's cuz he's coming off two down years in a row. Um I, I know the 2021 was really short, but um so I've been kind of out. Um I will take Rosario. Um he's later. You can get him later than the other guys and he kind of fits my chipping away at steals plan. So, mm-hmm. you know, so he's that kind of I I find I have him in a couple leagues, not a ton, but that same kind of thing where if I got maybe like 40 steals somewhere in the first five rounds, and then maybe I got it, I chipped away a little bit at it from round six to 10, but maybe somewhere in there, I, I drafted some guys who aren't steals guys like a JD Martinez or a Brian Reynolds or someone like that. Or I got a first baseman in there somewhere, Josh Bell or something. I find Rosario is a guy who can get me back into that steals track and chip away. Like he, he's not going to be a high base stealer, but maybe 15. So I also, there's not a lot of shortstops. I, there's a lot of shortstops early that everybody loves. So I'm not unique there. Uh, there's not a late, not a lot of late shortstops who I love. So I find Rosario is kind of one of the last ones who I don't mind because when I see him on my board, I'm like around pick 180. I'm like, okay, I could chip away, get about 15 more steals here, get a shortstop who I don't mind. And I don't have to play around shortstop after that. So I'm finding shortstop and third base are the two positions where I just don't really want to go into round 15 still needing one. So I'd rather get someone, you know, in the first 200 picks, that I don't, if I can get someone where I feel I can get them at value or pretty much at value at those two spots, I'd rather mess around in the other positions later on. That makes sense. Yeah. I like, I like that whole group right there. I think they're mm-hmm. pretty, um, I think they're pretty solid for sure. Um, and yeah, cause there's, 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 there's a spot after that, like you said, where you, you just don't want to get involved with, um, especially for third and short, you know, uh, I think there's some hybrid guys, like you mentioned before Dalton Villar, that, that would be, you know, a good filler for both. Cause you got the dual eligibility. Where do you think he lands? You know, where do you think Jonathan Villar goes? I almost want to see him go to a team that's like not set up for him to be a platoon guy all the time, you know? I don't know what team that oh, would be, but like, uh, red, like, like his best it. fit would be like Reds shortstop or something <laughs> like that. Like just a team Ooh, that that's park, not I'd trying. Love that park. Yeah. 
yeah, right? That, trying, just a team yeah. that's like it would have been Rockies before or, or something before they signed um, Iglesias. But like just, um, yeah, a team that's not competing and gives him a one year, five million, six million something yeah. and, and plans on flipping him at the deadline. And you just think, hey, whatever, I'll take VR. I'll get my steals for four months and then just see where he where he lands after that. I think I saw that he turned down a one-year deal from Toronto, and I'm hoping that's because he wants a full-time job. Yeah. Because it looked like decent money too. Because yeah, as someone who absolutely I'm relying on in some DCs for for late speed. Yeah, it's all about playing time, and I'm hoping that's his reasoning behind turning down that yeah. the deal for, for with Toronto. Right. Interesting. All right, fellas, that was awesome. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to come and uh, and hang out with me and talk fantasy baseball. I I, uh, I respect you guys as as analysts a lot, and. Um, I'm really happy I got a chance to talk to you guys. Oh, thanks for having me. That was fun. Oh, yeah, time. yeah, really fun. Time flew by. I really enjoyed it, guys, and I learned a lot. Absolutely. Why don't, um, why don't you give the uh, guest uh, a little um, insight to let you guys know where, where they can find you and um, where they can find all your work. If they're not following you guys already, they're doing something wrong. <laughs> Get fed. Um, I, uh, I try to tweet out everything podcast or article related I do. So that's on Twitter at Fred Zinke MLB. Um, I try to make sure no, whether it's a Yahoo article or whether it's Rotowire podcast, something I try to make sure, um, it all ends up there. Yeah. Same here. Best place for all my material at Dalton Dildon on Twitter. And thanks awesome. again, Rob. Good times, man. This was fun. Really. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Again, thank you. To, um, thank you guys for hanging out. I know everyone's busy these days. I had to be talk about, so to take the time out and, um, and come hang with me is uh, much appreciated for sure. Sure thing. All right. All right, guys. Talk soon. Okay. See ya. Bye. All right, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Pull Herder Podcast. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you learned some things from Fred and Dalton. And hope you get right into your draft season right now. It's the height of the fantasy baseball season and baseball itself. You know, spring training is around the corner. So much excitement, um, you know, for just the sport itself. And can't wait for the players to get on the field. And we start seeing some some real action. The hot stove has been really hot and um it's fascinating you know this is this is what we live for if you're a baseball fan if you're if you're into that fantasy baseball hobby and you know you just love to play the game that you know so many do enjoy playing so um take the time out enjoy it you know take it all in and really be grateful that they got back onto the field and we can enjoy this beautiful sport again and all right take care and don't be a bag of shit